I would imagine that most all of us agree, maybe all of us, that God is supremely good in every way. We've just sung about that, that God is good. The Bible declares it, but not only does the Bible declare it. Uh, you can have real life experience in God, and it proves again and again that God is indiscriminately good, outrageously good in our lives. And one of the things that we've been looking at for the last five weeks is some words where Jesus just says, you know what? Uh, the Father wants to bless you. My Father is good. He's a good God. And He wants to bless your life. And if you will do these things, God is going to bless you. He's going to make sure that your life is going to be blessed. In, in fact, what we've been looking at for the last five weeks um, is this reality. And some of you, this may be new because this is your first Sunday here. We've been going to Jesus' most famous message. Every message that Jesus ever gave was incredible, but there was something about the Sermon on the Mount that in its own way has set it apart from all the others. And in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, as I've, the Sermon on the Mount, as I've been mentioning to you the last few weeks, are these opening attention-grabbing words, and they've come to be known as the Beatitude. And there are eight of them, and we've looked at five of them to this point. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to take it a little bit out of sequence, and we've not done that yet, but we're, instead of going, you know, like right to six, we're going to go, uh, we're going to jump over one, and the reason why we're going to do uh, that is because the one that uh, we're going to look at today has a lot to do with relationships, and Valentine's Day is right around the corner, and there's so much about peacemaking that comes into play in our relationships, in all kinds of relationships, by the way. In relationships with your husband or your wife, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your friend, even a coworker, you know it's been proven time and time again in in occupational life in work life that people who may not have you know uh, supreme intelligence as compared to maybe somebody else in the company may in fact bypass that person in the company because they may not have uh, you know the same IQ level they didn't make the same grades when they were in school but what they possess is they possess emotional intelligence they know how to navigate through relationships they're just a pro at that. And I've seen this. And if you think about it, many of you have seen it. Maybe you didn't contemplate it at the time. But again and again, when people have this exceptionally high IQ, make like straight A's in school, they get bypassed for a promotion or an advancement in the company or a position by somebody that may have not made the same grades, maybe does not possess the same intellectual IQ, but they have this emotional maturity. They know relationships. And so what we're going to talk about today uh, can come into play in your marriage, in your relationship with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, where you work, with the employees, with your boss, you know, friendships that you have. And it's this beatitude that we're going to look at. It comes, as you well know, if you've been here, out of Matthew chapter 5, and this is verse 9, and I want all of us to read it together. Here it is on the screen. Everybody read it with me. We're going to read it a couple of times. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, you ready? God blesses those people who make peace. They will be called his children. Let's read it again. God blesses those people who make peace. They will be called his children. Perhaps as you were growing up as a small child, you wondered, man, what would it be like to have a parent that is like incredibly famous? What would it be like to be the son or the daughter of a very famous person. But when you think about it, uh, you are. 
If you are being a peacemaker and not a troublemaker, you are the child of somebody famous. This is what Jesus said. If you're a peacemaker, in that case, you're a child of God. He is saying to us, very clearly so, Jesus is implementing this reality that God's peace here on earth, if you're implementing that, then that's going to affirm to us that God will affirm that we're his very own. So peacemakers are, when you think about it, God's true children. Now, before I talk to you in very practical terms about how can we can help to advance peace, I, I do need to tell you what peacemaking is not. Peacemaking, because a lot of times we have these notions and thoughts and maybe even practices where we say, okay, I know what you've got to do. And maybe you think about the own, your own context or your own sphere of influence or relationships. And so you say, well, in the past, I know what I've had to do to make peace, but what you maybe have had to do to make peace may not be the same thing as peacemaking, as at least as the Bible would indicate it to be so. What do I mean by that? Peacemaking is not running from a problem. Now, it's easy to run from a problem. We, none of us like problems, but if there's some relational waters that need to be navigated, sometimes it's just easier to say, you know, I'm going to avoid it altogether. Or we say, you know what I'm going to do? In order to have any kind of peace to come as a result of this, you know, there's going to need to be a little bit of conflict, not intentional conflict, but this probably we're going to have to work through some things. And so the the thought of conflict may say, well, if there's going to be any conflict whatsoever, I don't want to deal with it because, uh, you know, you're afraid of conflict or you don't want any kind of conflict. And so I'd rather just bow out. Peacemaking does not mean that you've got to appease everybody. By the way, you've heard me talk about this before. You're never going to be able to appease everybody. You cannot make every person on this planet happy with you. You just can't. If you make group A happy, you've made group B frustrated. If you make group B very happy, then group A is ticked off. You're never going to be able. And so if you think, well, peacemaking means that I've got to appease everybody in my life all the time, that is not peacemaking. Peacemaking is not saying, well, you know what I'm going to have to do? If there's going to be any peace, then I've got to give in all of the time. Everybody else has got to have their way. That is not peacemaking. That is not the biblical idea or understanding of peacemaking. And I want to talk to you, again, real practically, right out of the Bible, what the Bible mentions, numerous truths about making peace. How can we do it? I'm going to give you, there's a lot more than this, but I'm going to give you this morning five of them, and I want you to follow along very, very carefully, because if you will do this, if you will do this, and you know, it it can help you in every relationship, at work, at home, at school, uh, in your business, it can help you in all kinds of relationships, and I want to give you five things, so let's dive right in. And we're going to begin the first one by simply saying this. We're going to sort of name it this, first things first. We're talking about making peace, first things first. Now, Jesus teaches us that when some manner of friction, this is not my opinion, this is what Jesus says, that when some manner of friction needs to be addressed, then as his followers, as the children of God, we need to make the first move because that's what peacemakers do. Now, I know what, even me saying that, that we need to make, you know, if there's going to be peace, you know, there's a fragmented relationship of some sort, and there needs to be some peace to come back into the reality of that. When I mention you go first, I go first, I know what you immediately feel, because I felt it many, many times before. It's this idea of saying, well, well, why do I have to go first? I, I didn't even cause it. 
I didn't even create this conflict. I didn't even create this fragmentation. I didn't even cause this. It's, it's not my fault. It's their fault. They're the ones that need to make it right. And I know, at least in our thinking, that, that sounds accurate. It sounds fundamentally true. But it's not what Jesus says. And, and for the longest time, uh, you know, I can think back. And while I was working on this talk, I was thinking back. Well, I can remember a time when somebody really did me wrong. And I had the attitude that perhaps many of you have had, where I'm like, you know what? I didn't cause this friction. I didn't do this. I didn't make this happen. And, and you know what? If it's going to get fixed, buddy, they're going to have to be the ones. And I'm just going to sit and wait for them to fix it. But that's not what Jesus says. That is not what peacemakers do. Peacemakers, those who make, you heard what Jesus saw. You saw it here on the screen. Jesus said, those who make peace are going to be blessed by God, and they're going to be known as the children of God. So, first things first. Now, how do we know this? I want you to look at the screen at these verses here. And this, again, is Jesus. So, Jesus says on another occasion, he said, in fact, it's later in this same message. It's not a part of the Beatitudes, but it's in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, so when you offer your gift to God at the altar, and when he starts into this, everybody that heard him say this would understand it. They would understand uh, those who are part of this culture. Uh, they, they, they could see a word picture here. So when you offer your gift to God at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. So you've come to the temple, Jesus is saying. You've come to worship, and you're going to worship God. And you want there to be this peace that you have with God. But as you're standing in line, and you're getting ready to offer your worship, your offering, your sacrifice to God, and then all of a sudden, there's the realization that you want to have peace with God, but you don't have peace with a brother or sister, then you leave your gift there at the altar, Jesus said. You go and make, what does it say? peace with that person, and then you come back and you offer your gift. So before you even make peace with God, even before you bring, you know, that sacrifice, that offering, you're standing there, and maybe you've waited a long time in that line, and you're like, all right, I'm getting ready. And then all of a sudden, there's a realization that things aren't right with this person. Jesus said, you go to them. First things first, you go to them, and you make it right, and you do so without delay. But this is our problem. Our problem is we, we are not passive. I mean, we're not passionate. Instead, we're passive about these kind of things because none of us looks forward to having difficult conversations. If you're a person, let me just say this. If you're a person that loves to have difficult conversations uh, conversations that there's always the real possibility of conflict, you know, cropping up. If you're a person like that, you, you frighten me, by the way. If you're always looking, you know, for, a, you know, for those opportunities. Um, and so because we're not, then what we do a lot of times is we've just, we, we become procrastinators. But this is not a healthy solution because conflict is never going to be resolved accidentally. We have to be intentional. And, and we've all done this. You've done this. I've done this where we thought, you know what? There really needs, if this relationship is going to be repaired, if it's going to get fixed, then there needs to be a conversation that needs to happen. But again, you don't know exactly how the conversation is going to go. And you know what the Bible says. You need to leave your gift at the But you're like, oh, man, I don't know how they're going to react. I don't know if it's going to make it, how, how 
this is going to turn out. So a lot of times, what have we done? We've all done this. You've done it. I've done it. We just said, well, I'm, I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to let it sort of, sort of sit, and maybe it will get better. But how many of you know it never gets better if you just let it sort of percolate? What happens? Generally speaking, most of the time, it will actually get worse. When the relationship between God and Adam, the very first people to ever populate the earth, when the relationship between God and Adam was strained because of sin, how does Adam react to God? Now, keep in mind that there is this vibrant relationship between God and Adam and Eve in the garden every day. And it's said that in the cool of the day that God would come down and he would have this wonderful relational fellowship with Adam and Eve. But then Adam and Eve sin. And so it's like the day after God comes and God's looking for them. And how many of you know God knew where Adam and Eve was, but he looking for them. And, and what are they doing? They're hiding. And in fact, when God is looking for them and God knows where they are and he waits for Adam's reaction, listen to this. This is out of Genesis. It's all the way back in the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 10. What does Adam say? How does he react to God? This is what he said. He said, I heard you. I heard you, God, walking in the garden. And he said, I did, I did these two things. I was afraid and I hid. I was afraid and I hid. And what is our tendency? I mean, it's no different. I mean, you think about thousands and thousands of years later, and our reaction oftentimes is no different. When uh, a relationship is, is not really, you know, sort of now out of balance, out of whack, and what do we often do? Rather than first things first, go, try to make it right, rather than try to repair it, uh, what do we do? A lot of times we do not initiate. We do much like Adam. We hide. We live it along. We're passive. We procrastinate. Or a lot of times, instead of being activistic and trying to do our part to make amends, we're too afraid. In fact, fear, fear if fear is controlling and dominating your life, it's always going to hinder your wisdom-making decisions. A long time ago, in fact, it was probably the very first verse that I ever memorized as a new Christian. Uh, I was just a, a, a baby in Christ and having some fear dominating my life in some areas. And so I remember the day I ran across this verse and I read it. And it's like God was saying, that's for you. Probably the very first verse I committed to memory as a new Christian. And it's 2 Timothy 1.7. It's not on the screen, but I want to give it to you here. And it can help you, you know, in relationships and contacts of all kind of uh, domains of your life. And the verse is simply this. For God is not given to you a spirit of fear but of power and love and of a sound mind. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. What does Adam say? Again, there's this fragmentation between his relationship with God, God relationship, God's relationship with him. And God said, I'm looking for you, Adam. Where are you? And Adam says, God, here's what I was doing. I was afraid, and so I hid. So first things first. Jesus said, you remember you know, you want peace with the Father in heaven, but while you're, you know, in worship, you're getting ready to make your offering, your sacrifice. If you remember, if you remember that there's something not right with a brother or sister, you, you go, you go and you make things right. Without delay, you do it. Now, secondly, I want to give you first things first, but now secondly, and I'll just say it this way, begin with you. And I want to explain, begin with you. What does that mean? Now, 
I know none of you are thinking this way, but just for illustration's sake, let me give you a scenario. If you were a person, and again, I know you're not, but if you said, you know what, there's already a relationship that's bruised, it's, you know, it needs some repair, it needs some healing, but you know, instead of doing that, here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to add some additional stress to an already difficult relationship. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a sure fire way how to do that. All right. If you just say it's not too good, but I want to really make it bad. I want to just totally blow it up. I'll tell you how to do it. When you go to this person, just immediately be on the attack mode. Just, you just start attacking right out of the gate. You just sort of go after them. Now, how many of you have ever in your life, you know, you have felt, uh, and I can see your hand, believe it or not, especially if I do my hands like this, wave at me if you have ever, now don't point to anybody, don't, don't, don't nod, don't, don't say, you know, you know, don't do that. I don't want to, I won't see that. I won't see that. But how many of you have ever had somebody just sort of attack you verbally? Let me just see your hand. Just sort of wave at me. Just wait. Now, what do you do? What do you do when that happens? Do you say, thank you so much. That feels really good. I love it. In fact, I'd love it more if you just attack me even more. No, what do we do? We immediately get our guard up. Anytime you attack somebody, and anytime, by the way, that somebody attacks you, what is your reaction going to be? You're going to get your defenses up. You're going to get your guard up. You're going to try to protect yourself. You're going to become defensive. I've got a friend. He's an older friend. He's now retired. And uh, I don't even know if Golden Gloves Boxing exists anymore. I don't even know if it's around. But, but in his day, it was. And it would be these amateur boxers. And, you know, they could sort of move up the ranks in their city or their community. And he's getting quite good. He had won, you know, two or three pretty significant boxing matches. And I love to hear him tell the story. He can tell his story much better than I can. He said, Jeff, I'll never forget the day. You know, and this is a pretty big fight for me. It's amateur, of course. But Golden Gloves, I'm moving up. And so, you know, I just wanted to be a good sport. So he said, I can remember in this match that was highly anticipated that, uh, you know, they rang the bell for the first round to begin. He said, and I just trotted out to the center of the ring and I just went to bump gloves, you know, as a sign of sportsmanship. And I just went to bump his gloves as I'd done before in other matches. He said, what I did not realize, he knew that I was going to throw my hands out. And when I did, he was waiting on me. I threw my hands out like this and he cold caught me. He knocked me out before the first round ever got started. Now, if he had known he was going to be attacked, what would he have done? He would have had his defenses up, but he had them down. Now, begin with you. And again, I know um, what we can think. I know what some of you are, are, are thinking, maybe even now. You're saying, well, why? All right, first things first. I know that Jesus said that. But, but why, why begin, you know, instead of attacking them, why do I need to talk you know, about my challenge, what negativity I've brought into this circumstance or situation. And, and you may be even thinking, you know, Pastor Jeff, I appreciate it. I know you're trying to help me, but do I really do that like if it's uh, 2% my fault, 98% their fault? I mean, do I still start with me? I mean, can I just, I mean, if they're the real culprit, can I just sort of launch into them a little bit? Well, you can do that, but it's not, it's not going to help a whole lot. Begin with you. Quite often in a relationship, any relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, friend, coworker, uh, any kind of relationship can be damaged uh, for various reasons, but I'll give you two of the primary reasons. You may want to jot them down. The first reason is self-centeredness, self-centeredness. It creates a lot of relational turmoil. 
Uh, This is what James said. How do we know this is true? Look at what James says. James says this, chapter 4, verse 1. Look at it on the screen. Do you know where your fights and arguments come from? And we've all had them. Do you know where your fights and arguments come from? And then he mentions something that maybe we didn't think about. They come from the selfish desires that war within you. Where do they come from? They come from within you. And so a good question to ask, I mean, we may want to go on the attack mode. We may have the mentality, well, it's just 2% my fault, 5% my fault, you know, 95% their fault. Uh, you know, why do I need to begin with me? What problem? What, what my mistakes were? Why do I have to begin with me? I just think it's important for us to do, to just sort of evaluate what's going on in the, on the inside of us. You know, how many of you, how many of you, you feel like you possess enough self-awareness? You know when you're just feeling a little bit off balance internally. How many of you have ever had this experience? All right, I hate to confess it, but, you know, I'm that kind of guy, transparent. I never try to pretend to be like uh, a Superman Christian. Uh, any of you like me, do you ever have these days when you wake up in the morning, it's like you know before your feet even hit the floor, it's like, I feel like I'm in a bad mood. Have you, wave at me if you've ever, have you ever like, I don't even know, I don't even know why, why I'm in a bad, but I'm, I'm, I'm in a bad mood. And maybe you just sort of carry, and I think it's good to just sort of warn yourself if I'm feeling that way, well then, you know, I need to not let my amperage get up so high in the course of a day, uh, you know, because I'm probably going to say something I shouldn't, do something I shouldn't, and you know, that's probably, but you know, you know that there's, something going on in, inside, you know, it's like, um, it's like you're just angry, you're frustrated, it's like somebody at work hasn't even said anything, but you're like mad at the thought of something that you think they may say, so you're already preparing your defense for something they haven't even said, but you just feel that bad attitude, so like the lady who said, you know what, I, I, I woke up grumpy, I woke up grumpy, she said, I thought about letting him sleep in, <laughs> all right, that'll hit you later, uh, but I woke up grumpy. So self-centeredness, what's happening within me? Uh, you know, am I feeling angry, frustrated, or do I feel love? Do I feel peace? Am I feeling self-centered? So a relationship, any relationship can be damaged uh, primarily because of either self-centeredness or secondly, pride, pride. And that can really complicate things if you're, you know, not just self-centered, but if you're proud and you don't want to admit. Um, Anybody here from time to time ever struggle with it a little bit? I'll put my hands up again so I can see. Any, anybody here ever struggle with pride from time to time? Can I just see your hand? All right. I know what's happening. You're too proud to admit that you struggle with pride from time to time. I see what's happening here. Oh, no, no. But we can struggle with pride. Proverbs 13.10, it's not on the screen, but this is what it said. Pride only leads to arguments. Pride only leads to arguments. And so when we're talking about not just first things first, go to them first, but begin with you, it's so much easier for me to identify your problem than it is to see my own flaws and weaknesses. And that's really blind spots. And we all have blind spots, but the problem is we don't know we have blind spots because we're blind to them. Thus, they're called blind spots. 
And so we, we don't see our flaws. We don't see our weaknesses. We don't see uh, the things that are problematic for us. But it's very easy. Listen, if you and I are in conflict, I may not see, you know, the damage that I'm bringing to this, but I can easily spot the damage that you have. In, in fact, what I may even try to do when uh, in a situation like that, I may try to fix you when I actually need more help than what you do. Now, how do we know this? Because Jesus tells us so. In, in fact, Jesus one day, um, Jesus one day is talking to a group of people, and then he, you know, he says some things, and then he says, you hypocrites, because Jesus had never read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. So he just said, you do this, and you're, you're hypocrites. And I'll show you. Look, look here on the screen. The guys are going to help us. This is Jesus. He's talking to a group of people, and he said, why do you notice the little piece of dust in your friend's eye, but you don't notice a big piece of wood in your own eye? How is it? How can you say to your friend, let me take that little tiny speck of dust out of your eye? And then Jesus said, look at yourself. You still have that big piece of wood in your own eye. And then he says, you hypocrite. First take the wood out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the dust out of your friend's eye. But we don't see that. We've got blind spots. And I want to I fit you because I can see I can see that tiny speck of dust in your eye. I can see it, and I want to fix you. But the problem is, I don't see that utility pole in my own eye. And Jesus said, you're a hypocrite. First, take that telephone pole, that utility pole, that big piece of wood out of your eye. And once you do that, then guess what? You're going to be able to see that little tiny speck in the eye of the person that you thought the problem was all within them. First things first, go to them, but then, but then begin with you. Someone has written that this phrase is not original with me because I'm not smart enough to have come up with it, but they have called this phrase the magic phrase. A magic phrase that can help to repair any relationship challenge. I mean, so you can use this at work, you can use it at home, you can use it at school, but I'm just telling you, if you say this to somebody because um, pretty much guarantee you've never said this to them before, then you just make sure that there's like cushions or pillows or something that they can fall back onto because they're going to pass out when you say this phrase. And here's the phrase. Here it is. I'm sorry. I was only thinking of myself. I'm sorry. I was only thinking of myself. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to think they died, but they didn't. They just passed out. They did because they're like, I I didn't even know you could say anything like that. I am sorry. I was only thinking of myself. Many other things we could add here. First things first. Secondly, begin with you. Thirdly, here it is. Be sure you get it now. Listen before you speak. Listen before you speak. When we're trying to repair a relationship, you know, we generally want to do all the talking. We want to do all the talking. And um, you've heard me say this before. If God wanted us to do a lot more talking than he did listening, he would have created us with two mouths in one ear instead of two ears in one mouth. And we generally want to talk. We want to, you know, we want to talk first, and, and we want to fill in all the gaps here in the middle, and then what do we want to do? We want to have the last word. All right, I heard. Now here's the last word. We want to do it. 
A number of years ago, I was reading a book by John Orberg, and he was talking about this brilliant thinker, and writer, and speaker, Dallas Will- Willard. And Dallas Willard, for many years, he passed away a couple of years ago, but he was, if I remember his responsibilities correctly, he was the professor of religion and philosophy at the University of Southern California, there in the Southern, Southern California. And he was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And just this deeply devoted man of God, wrote so much about spiritual growth and spiritual formation. And Orberg tells the story about how that one day in class that Dallas Willard, this brilliant man that nobody could match wits with him, really, how that he was challenged by a young student in his class who stood up in class and took him to task and disagreed with him and gave him all the reasons for disagreement. And Dallas Willard did not say a word. He did not say anything. He did not respond. He did not uh, set him right. He did not correct all of his misjudgments. He just let it, let it go. John Orberg, by the way, as he's writing about this, he said, of all the people that I would not want to get into a theological disagreement with, it would be Dallas Willard. He said, I would be afraid. He wrote this. I would be afraid to get into a theological argument with Dallas Willard lest he prove that I don't exist. <laughs> and he said, here this young man is, and, and Dallas Willard never responds. He just lets it go, class ends. Young man walks out. He's gathered around his desk, several students, who said, Dr. Willard, why, what were you doing? You could have you just point, cut him off. You could have just showed him, you know, all of his mistakes and his foolishness. You could have, and you know what Dallas Willard did? He stopped, he looked at all of these students, and he said, well, I appreciate your concern. But I've learned, I'm, I'm committing myself or trying to commit myself to the spiritual practice of not having to have the last word. And I thought about that. Man, that's deep. That's just profound. But in a conversation, we often want to have the first word, the last word, and everything in between. Now, keep this in mind. When you're listening to somebody, listen for more than just the words. Pay attention to the emotions or the hurt behind the words. Do you realize that in the vast, vast majority of situations, there's hurt in a conflict? And hurting people hurt people. So listen for the hurt. Now, I I heard this when I was a 20-something-year-old pastor. I can remember the great leader. I can remember hearing him say, and it resonated with me, and I'd never heard it before, and I've never forgotten it. He said, hurting people hurt people. Generally speaking, if a person does not have a lot of hurt in their life, they're not for the most part, there's exceptions to everything, of course, but generally speaking, it's not people that are not hurting. People feel, you know, a lot of love, a lot of joy, a lot of kindness, you know, not a lot of pain in their life. They're generally not hurting, but usually it's people that are hurting that hurt other people. So listen, but listen for the words, the emotions, the hurt, the pain behind the words. You know what, what is so unusual and yet so challenging? Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, the people who need love and encouragement and mercy and support the most are the people who are the most difficult to give it to. But that doesn't remove our responsibility. So listen, but listen for the emotions. Look at James 1.19 here on the screen. It says, everyone must be quick to listen. But what? Read the rest of it with me. But slow to speak and slow to become angry. Now, keep that up for just a moment, guys, and look at it. If we do the first two, then the third thing becomes so much more achievable. If we're quick to listen and we're slow to speak, one mouth, two ears, then a lot of times it's easier to not become angry. But why is it difficult to be a great listener? 
I mean, we all struggle with this, or I shouldn't say we all. I know. I struggle to be a great listener. Why is that? And the reason primarily, I think, for most of us is, is this sort of attitude that we carry into our conversation. It's like this. I have opinions, and I have ideas, and I have frustrations, and you need to hear about them. And so we're, you know, we, we even while you ever done this, you don't have to wait, you know, raise your hand. You don't have to. Have you ever been involved in a situation where you're having a conflict? and you're not really listening to what that person is saying because you can't listen to them and be forming in your mind what you already plan to say back. So it's just easier not to, okay, because you're working on, you know, what you're going to say in return, so not really listening a whole lot. What if we did what the Bible encourages us to do? Look at these two verses on the screen. This is Philippians. Philippians 2, 4, and 5 says this, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. What was the attitude? And I'll just hit on this because I need to finish. The attitude of Christ Jesus was this. He always shifted his attention from his needs to their needs. Even at the end of his life, when you think about it, Jesus was mentioning their needs. What did he say in these dying moments from the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How many of us would have said that? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, Father, wipe them out. Father, give them all leprosy. Father, let there be an outbreak of mosquitoes in their bedroom tonight. You know, but Father, forgive them. No, that was the attitude of Jesus, the attitude that we need to have. In fact, Romans 15.2 says this, be considerate of the doubts and fears of others. Now, let me... Let me j- just mention a couple of more, and I'm going to hit these so quickly. Number four, first things first, remember, begin with you. Thirdly, listen before you speak. Fourthly, speak the truth. Speak the truth, but then listen because we're practicing being good listeners, right? Speak the truth, but speak the truth with love, with love. A lot of people says, I can speak the truth. Oh, yeah, I can speak the truth. But the Bible says to do it with love. The Bible says the truth will set you free, but the truth needs to be spoken in love. Ephesians 14 says exactly that. Look at it here on the screens. In fact, say it with me. Here it is. Ephesians 4.15. Say it. Everybody, speak the truth in love. Now, I, I, I don't think anybody here is like this. I, I don't. In fact, if you are like what I'm about to mention, please don't tell me afterwards that you really are like this. Just keep it to yourself. It would be better that I don't know because I don't think there's anybody here like this. But uh, I, t- I tell you what, people who just cause massive uh, lights and sirens to go off in my mind, and I've heard many people say this, many people say it, and it goes like this. I just tell it like it is. I just tell it like it is. And they say it. Proudly. They said gloatingly. I just, and, and they're like, you, you ought to be impressed. I just tell it like it is. Is that like Christ? Is that being a loving person? That's not love. That's usually being rude. 
There's nothing joyful about that. It's being selfish. There's nothing kind about that. It's just getting it off your chest. Well, listen, you may get it off your chest. Now, I say you, but I don't think any of you are like this. But a person may get, get this off their chest. But how many of you know it may feel good for them to vomit all over the place, but it doesn't feel good for you to be the person they've just vomited all over? I just tell it like it is. That's not what the Bible says. How many of you know it's not just what we say, but it's how we say it? Someone has penned this great statement, truth without love is resisted, but truth with love is received. Listen to that again. Truth without love is resisted, but truth with love is received. Take a look at Proverbs twelve eighteen. It's right here on the screen. Thoughtless words can wound as deeply as any sword, but wisely spoken words can what? Heal. And you and I get to choose. Now, our words are not as profound as Jesus. At the very beginning of this talk, I mentioned words that can change our life. Words that will transform our lives are the words of Jesus. But it does not mean that our words do not pack a punch. Our own words are powerful, not as powerful as Jesus. And you and I get to choose how we're going to use them. We can use them to hurt somebody or to heal somebody, to harm or to help. Look at Ephesians 4.29 right here on the screen. Look at what it says. Do not use harmful words, but only helpful words, the kind that build up and provide what is needed so that what you say will do good to those who hear you. This verse, when followed, can have a positive impact upon any area of our life, parenting, marriage, career, friendship. It doesn't matter. Let me give you the last one, and we're done, and I can hit this in two minutes. First things first, begin with you. Listen before you speak. Speak the truth, but do it with love. And then last of all, seek restoration, not a quick fix. Seek restoration, not a quick fix. Now, I want to be clear on this. I'm not saying, and I don't want to be misunderstood, when you hear restoration, some of you may say, is he saying that I need to get back with my ex? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I need to get back with my ex-boyfriend? No, I'm not saying that's why. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm not. Look at your neighbor and say he is not saying that he is not. In fact, there can be even friendships that you don't need to get back into that friendship. Because that friendship has been so harmful and adversarial to you. And it's like, you know, it's a friendship that somebody that they don't care anything about you, everything about them and everything about what that relationship is doing to you is damaging to you. You don't need to stay in that. You don't have to live with that. But this is what it does mean. Restoration is this. It doesn't mean you get back with your ex. But it does mean this, that you do not allow bitterness and contempt and anger and resentment to be in control of your life. You bury the hatchet. How many of you know it's okay to not get even? How many of you know that? It's okay to not get even. It's okay to not retaliate, but you ought to bury the hatchet. You ought to be willing to forgive. Why would you want to be a slave to bitterness and hate and contempt your whole life? It's no way to live. Well, does that mean, you know, that I've got to agree with somebody uh, on everything? Listen, you're never going to agree with anybody. Uh, Listen, there are times you don't agree with yourself. You're not going to agree with everybody. In fact, you think about it. People who are most alike are identical twins. But how many of you know, even identical twins do not see eye to eye on 100% of everything. But that doesn't mean that you can't have unity. That doesn't mean that there can't be agreement. But it requires wisdom and understanding and an attitude like Jesus. I'm out of time. 
But as you stand to your feet, go ahead and stand. I want to read to you three verses as we close. Just listen to them. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, and it says this. God has done all this. He has restored our relationship with him through Christ and has given us this ministry of restoring relationships. What is he saying? God sent Christ to help us to be restored to our relationship with God. And now God has given to us the ministry of restoring relationships. In other words, verse 19, God was using Christ to restore his relationship with humanity. He didn't hold people's faults against them. Now, we're, we're pros at that, generally speaking. But he didn't do that. He didn't hold people's faults against them. And he has given us this message of restored relationships to tell others. Therefore, we are Christ's representatives. And through us, God is calling you. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reunited with God. So let's pray. Bow your heads. Father, help us. And I pray for anybody here that may be out of sorts, out of relationship with you. Thank you, God, that you sent your son Jesus to restore a broken relationship. And that because of Jesus and his sacrifice for us upon the cross, that we can be restored. And that's what we want. We want to be at peace with you, God. But we also want to be at peace with people. So help us to have a ministry of restoring relationships. Help us, God, not to walk around looking and trying to take the speck out of everybody's eye when there's a utility pole in our own. Help us to love and help us to forgive and help us, God, to be mature and to be wise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. I love you, everybody. Have a great week. See you right back here next Sunday.